This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Hello, and welcome to SuperAge. My name is David Harry Stewart. I'm the founder of Aegist. At SuperAge, we help you live better and become the best version of yourself. And who doesn't want a SuperAge? Welcome to episode 69 of the SuperAge podcast. This will be dropping on February the 9th, 2022. At SuperAge, we like to sort of break things down into the big rock theory of how to SuperAge. And those big rocks, as we see them, are food, what are you eating, um, movement, exercise, um, how are you sleeping, and how are you dealing with your stress. Now, of all of those, I can be fairly prescriptive with the latter three. The first one, though, food, nutrition, what are you eating? That becomes very particular. Um, and that's very particular for each person because we all have different biochemistry, we have different genetics, and we have different microbiomes. What's interesting is the relationship between what people eat and then how their bodies handle it. And in general, Having a low glycemic load, a low glycemic index diet is good in general for most people. Now, <clears throat> there are exceptions to this. I recall that Jack LaLanne, the famous fitness guru from, I guess, the 50s and 60s, for the last 10 years of his life, he was a fruitarian. He like only ate fruit, um, which something like that would just destroy me. I, you know, I just couldn't function if I did something like that. But, but we're all different. And this week on the show, to sort of help us understand this a little more, we have Dr. Richard Johnson. And the show is going to be a fairly science-dense. And so before we get to Dr. Johnson, I'm, I'm just going to give you sort of a heads up on what we're going to talk about so that um, it hopefully will you'll be able to make some more sense out of it, because there's a lot of science he talks about in here. So essentially, getting holding fat in our bodies is not entirely related to how many calories we take in. So the calories in, calories out is one factor, but it's just one of the factors. And he's going to talk about the relationship between glucose and fructose. And one thing to keep in mind is fructose doesn't just come from eating fruit. Our bodies actually convert a certain amount of glucose to fructose and the fructose seems to be sort of the villain in things associated with gaining weight, with metabolic syndrome, type 2 by diabetes, things like this. The other interesting thing we're going to talk about is hydration and how being underhydrated can also cause us to hold fat because it turns out that as we metabolize fat, we actually give off water. Both of these things, the fructose leading to fat accumulation and the uh, underhydration fat accumulation response have a, you know, a genetic background in how we've evolved and how our bodies see certain stresses coming on and they, they want to prepare us for them. But it's sort of inappropriate in the world that we live in. So we're going to get to Dr. Richard Johnson, who's going to tell us more about this. And there's going to be a lot about bears in here. So 
<laughs> one of my favorite animals. So we're going to get to Dr. Richard Johnson in just a moment after a quick word from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker. You know that saying, you can't improve what you don't measure? This is why you want Inside Tracker, because it's going to help you measure what's going on inside your body. The plan that I use includes 43 blood biomarkers, which will measure my glucose levels, my cholesterol, my cortisol, my hemoglobin, because as we keep saying, we are all different. And what affects me in one way may affect you differently. And how are we going to know unless we track it? This is how I get to know my body better. What's really going on inside my body? It's not a replacement for going to see my doctor. I still see my doctor every year. But I also share with him the regular results that I get from Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker was developed in collaboration with David, Dr. David Sinclair. You may know him, the famous Harvard geneticist, and Dr. Gil Blander. Um, it is a science-backed program, and I get the results on my phone, and it tells me what sort of foods I should eat, what sort of supplements I should do to improve where I'm at. Am I in range? Am I out of range? Where am I at this month or in this quarter? What have I changed? How can I improve? And one thing that they give me that I really love is called inner age. Um, inner age is a single number which says this is my inner biological age versus my chronological age. So I can tell at a glance, am I aging faster or slower? What's that metric? So if I'm 63 and I'm my biological age is 56, that's great. But if I was 63 and perhaps that number was higher, that wouldn't be as great, but it would give me ways to improve that. Go to insidetracker.com slash ages, save 20% on all their products. Dr. Richard Johnson, how are you today? Great. It's wonderful to be on your show. I am so super. I say this about a lot of guests. I'm really excited. But when I saw your book, I was like, oh, my God. He <laughs> thinks like I do. This is great. I need to speak to Rick. <laughs> so you have, you have a book out called Nature Wants Us to Be Fat. What's up with that? Well, so it's a, it's a book that uh, kind of chronicles the research we've done over the years trying to figure out the cause of obesity. And, uh, you know, our big, one of our big breakthroughs was when we began to realize that, you know, we can study obesity as a disease that people are getting and so forth, or as a condition that is not a healthy condition. Or we, and, and everybody was kind of studying it that way in diabetes and so forth as diseases. Uh, but we could also kind of look at nature and try to understand how animals uh, use obesity as a survival uh, mechanism to, to survive. And then if we could understand how animals gain weight as a mechanism to survive and how they, they do that, then we might actually have a better understanding of what causes obesity. So we decided to, to take an approach that was kind of uh, opposite of what others were doing, but to use that method as well as classic research science uh, to to kind of try to uh, attack the problem from different angles. And what we did, we found that, you know, that there are these incredible pathways that animals use to become obese. And, and when we learned that, we could see how humans were becoming obese. And so it gave us big insights. And so... Uh, when we decided to, you know, when we were looking for the title of the book, my agent suggested nature wants us to be fat because 
so much of the book is focused on how nature uh, views obesity and, and how it views it as a survival mechanism, not as a, as a bad thing. Uh, but we're humans. And... We're human. <laughs> but yeah, but if you understand how an animal does it, then you have a clue for what to look for in humans. And when we looked, we found the same pathways. So uh, the thing that jumped out to me right away was fructose. So let's start with the animal. Okay, so I like bears. Bear's going to sleep all winter. Bear needs to be fat. What does the bear do to get fat? Well, okay, so yes. So let's go to that. So there are some animals that have to gain fat to survive uh, during periods of food shortage. And the biggest one is hibernation. So uh, when, when the winter gets really rough, uh, many animals can't find food. And so they've learned how to hibernate. And when they hibernate, they're living off their fat. And so when they live off their fat, the fat is actually a good thing because if they don't have enough fat, they can get into trouble and may not survive the winter. So there's a lot of animals that do that. And the one of the classic ones, the bear, and we've actually studied this hibernating bear. And uh, so the bear, uh, to gain fat, uh, turns out that, you know, they, they stay relatively normal weight much of the summer. Uh, and then kind of like late summer, they suddenly become hungry and they start getting very hungry and they start searching for food, foraging and they find lots of berries and uh, fruits and honey, but especially uh, berries. And they'll eat thousands of berries, David. I mean, they, they can eat 10,000 berries in a 24-hour period. And then we know that because people can study the scat of a bear and they can actually count the seeds and, and figure this out. It's sort of a terrible research. So what does that do, though? To the, to the bear's fat. So he, he's... so so this was one of the very first questions that, you know, we were wondering is, you know, could it be these berries that could be triggering, uh, you know, the gaining of weight? And was it mm. simply calories or was it, uh, or was there something special about eating berries? And, um, and you know, fruits uh, contain a sugar, uh, fructose. Fructose is, it, it, it's actually the same thing as fruit sugar. And, uh, you know, it's also uh, fruit, it's called fructose, and it's also present in uh, table sugar. So when we eat table sugar, we're actually eating a combination of glucose and fructose. They're bound together uh, to, to form a, 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 a sugar molecule, a table sugar, which is known as sucrose. It's a disaccharide of fructose and glucose bound together. So uh, fructose is also like in table sugar. It's also in this sweetener that's added in the food. David, I'm sure you know about high fructose corn syrup, which is in almost everything we eat. So uh, fructose has kind of got a, a bad name because uh, it's in table sugar and high fructose corn syrup. And, and uh, you know, we know that these kinds of sugars are bad. But it's also a natural fruit, which we think of as good. So fructose has kind of uh, had mixed viewpoints on it over the years. And, uh, but these bears, they'll eat thousands of berries. And so, um, so they're getting a big slug of fructose. It's different from what, when you grab an apple, you're getting about maybe 8 to 10 grams of fructose. 
Uh, but these animals are eating, you know, over 100 grams of fructose at a time. And, uh, and so it's a big difference in amount. And, uh, you know, so we, we became interested in fructose and what it does. And what we did is we gave fructose to laboratory animals and uh, we put it in their drinking water. And, you know, these uh, animals love sugar and they love fructose. Fructose is actually the sweeter part of the two molecules. It's the reason sugar tastes sweet is because of the fructose. The reason high fructose corn syrup tastes sweet is because of the fructose. And the people will put, actually, in high fructose corn syrup, they mix the fructose and glucose together, you know. And they found that, well, you know, that actually people prefer a little bit more fructose than glucose and uh, by taste. And so they have like 55% of it is fructose or 60% is fructose. And so, uh, you know, my friend Michael Gorin did a study and and fountain drinks, which were supposed to be like 55% fructose, actually are closer to 65% fructose because people know that uh, are the people selling the, the sugar and high fructose corn syrup know that people like fructose. So anyway, so uh, when we put fructose in the drinking water for these lab animals, they really like the fructose, Stephen. <laughs> they really like it. And they start drinking it. Now, initially, when they drink it, they're getting calories from the, you know, from the fructose. So they eat less of their chow. They, they try to maintain balance. And most animals will try to maintain balance. So they'll try to eat just a certain amount of food a day. And so this is uh, the way it is with animals. Like if you fast them so that they lose weight, then you quit the fast. They'll go right back to the weight they're supposed to be or if you, you know, force feed a, an animal, uh, it will gain weight, of course, because you're force feeding it. But then when you stop that, it will go right back to its weight. So most animals try to maintain a certain weight. But when you eat fructose, what happens is initially, they still try to maintain their, their, their regular weight. So they eat less chow for like the first month. So if you do a study for one month, you know, you can't really show a lot of weight gain with sugar because, or fructose, because, um, you know, the animal still thinks is trying to maintain its normal weight. Um, and then around a month, the animal starts to eat more chow than it should. It's like the animal's starting to get hungry. And what we did is we found that these animals become resistant to this hormone called leptin. Normally, when, uh, there's a hormone released by our fat that kind of tells us when we should stop eating. <laughs> and that hormone's called leptin. So it's the, it's the satiety hormone, you know. So it's there to, you know, tell you, okay, I'm full. Uh, I'm not going to eat anymore. And, and that, when, it's, when people are, if you're sensitive to leptin, you tend not to gain weight. So if you eat more one day, you'll eat less the next and you kind of keep your weight stable. And there are other things that regulate weight too, but this is, turns out to be an important one. And so uh, what happens is that when you start eating sugar, you become resistant to the effects of leptin. We actually showed that. We were the group that showed that. And, uh, and then once you become resistant to leptin, you kind of stay hungry. <laughs> and then you instead of you know, reducing the chow, 
in, in response to drinking more sugar or fructose to stay in balance. Now you start eating more chow, so you're eating a lot of chow, plus you're still drinking all that fructose, so you start gaining weight. So, so you start gaining weight. And um, what was interesting is not only did these animals like become fat, but they, they also became lazy. And, uh, and what I mean by that is that they, they started just sitting around in their cage. And we could show that by, we use laser lights to measure activity. So we can tell if they're moving. And they drop their resting energy expenditure, which is a kind of saying they drop their metabolism. So they're, they're spending less energy, but they're also eating more. So it sort of is that old adage that, you know, if you eat too much and you exercise too little, you're going to gain weight. Now, everyone talked about this. It was called overnutrition. Um, and it was really started in the 1920s when uh, Jocelyn said, this is the cause of obesity. People are eating too much and they're exercising too little. But actually, most animals regulate their weight. So if they eat too much one day, they eat less the next, as I mentioned. And there's some evidence that that's true in people. But this fructose seemed to do something biologically where it wanted to make you eat more and exercise less. So it was, it was still true. We were eating too much and exercising too little. But it wasn't driven by behavior. It was driven by biology because they were becoming leptin resistance and they dropped their metabolic rate. So this was our first kind of discovery was that there was a food that made you eat more and, um, and exercise less. And, and people who are overweight have been found to be leptin resistant. So it fit with what we're seeing in humans. So that was our first kind of discovery. But then, of course, the question was, everyone says, is it calories or not that drive obesity? So the next question was to try to sort that out. So I don't know if you want to make any comments. Yeah, well, I, I, I can tell you, um, as uh, we, I, I showed you before the call, I'm, well, I tend to be hypoglycemic. Yeah. So I, I'm like been paying a lot of attention to glycemic load for, for a while. And I found that like now I get, I try to aim for about 60% of my calories from fat. And I eat like a, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many pounds of walnuts I eat in a week. It's like a, squirrel gone wild over here like i just <laughs> you're a squirrel david <laughs> but you know i found that the more fat i eat the less fat i become like yeah. I, you know if i keep my um which doesn't mean i like binge well, on well let's talk about that so yeah. let, we're going to talk about that let's talk about that right now about yeah. uh this point um, I mean, it, it, I'll be able to explain it better later, but I do think we should talk about this. So what we found was that sugar and fructose, fructose in particular, makes you hungry mm -hmm. and makes you eat more. And what we, once that happens, if you give high fat food with fructose, you make an enormous animal because what <laughs> happens is, yeah. Because what happens is they're hungry, they're hungry, and you're giving them a ton of calories. I mean, what's, what's the power of, of fat is that it's nine calories per gram. So that when you give them sugar, 
or fructose and you make them leptin resistant and you give them fat, now they're hungry, so they're eating more. So then when they hit the French fries and the, and the fatty foods, they become enormously big. So, so we're talking but, like Mountain Dew, right? Like, yeah, yeah, Mountain, Mountain Dew, Dew at Burger plus, King. Plus, plus fried chicken. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the Mountain Dew is what makes you hungry. Right. And then the fat increases the food. So it increases the, the weight gain very rapidly. So when a doctor says, oh, you know, high fat's bad, that's because he sees that the high fats has all these calories and you're eating too much. But here's the trick. You go on a low-carb diet. You go on a low-carb diet where you're not getting that fructose or glycemic carbs, and we'll talk about the carbs. Now you don't have that hunger. Now you can regulate weight. Now high, now a fatty diet, high fat, doesn't cause weight gain. This is why you don't gain weight when you're eating fat, because you're, you're not leptin-resistant. You have successfully, and I... I I'm assuming you probably are, are watching your carbs because that's the number one way to keep leptin sensitive. So you're probably not eating a lot of sugar. You're not eating a lot of high glycemic carbs. And, and, and so what's happening is you're leptin sensitive. So you can eat the fat and you're not going to gain weight. And you may say, you know, this proves that fat doesn't cause obesity but it's sort of like the way it works is fructose is the fire mm. and the fat is the firewood. So you, if you just ate sugar, and you probably, you're not getting that many calories. So even if you're eating more and you're hungry and you're eating more, it's, you're not going to gain as much weight as if you eat sugar with fat. So there is a, fat is kind of an interesting thing. Fat in itself doesn't really cause obesity. Fat plus sugar definitely, definitely causes obesity. All right. Oh, yeah. So, so anyway, so, but I, I want to go back now to this question of, is it just calories? Because you might think that I'm just proposing that it's just calories, but it isn't. It's not just calories. That's right. We were the ones that proved it. We were the first ones to show this back around 2005. Long time ago now. <laughs> oh, darn. Anyway, what we did was uh, we, we decided to do a thing called pear feeding, what, which means it's a complicated, you know, it's a research term. But what we did is we decided to say, okay, we're going to feed all the animals the same amount of calories. And one group's going to get fructose and one group's not. And if... Uh, if it's due to calories, you know, maybe fructose makes you hungry, so you eat more. That's why you gain weight. So, but can you gain weight if, if everybody's eating the same? So in other words, keep those animals hungry. Don't, don't feed them what they want. They can't go back for seconds. All right. So what we did is we did this many times, many times. And if you feed animals fructose or you give them a control diet and you hold the food constant. The number of calories is constant. All the animals are eating the same. Most of weight gain is driven by calories. And so uh, the animals will gain weight, but a little weight, but they kind of gain the same amount. But it is true that the fructose animals burn less energy. 
So because they burn less energy, uh, they will gain a little bit more weight than the controls. And, but in a one-month study, it's very, very minimum difference. So like if you look studying laboratory rats and you go for six weeks or eight weeks or even 12 weeks, it's very subtle differences. And the same would be true in humans. So what mainly drives weight gain is eating too much. And that's driven by sugar, though. It's driven by fructose. Uh, so weight gain is mainly from uh, eating too much. There's a little bit from burning too, too little. But here's the twist. Although they eat the same, it's the sugar-fed animals that develop diabetes. It's the sugar-fed animals that get fatty liver. It's the sugar-fed animals that shoot their lipids up, you know, in their blood. It's the sugar-fed animals that develop hypertension. The control animals don't. So although weight gain is driven mainly by calories and a little bit by how much energy you, you reduce, uh, the, the real mechanism, uh, I mean, the thing to real, realize is that things like diabetes and all these other things still occur, even when calories are the same. So, I, and I so that is a really important finding. Uh, and we then we knew that it wasn't just a calorie. Fructose was doing something distinct from, uh, you know, a normal calorie. And, and it was, you know, around that time that we discovered that fructose was very different in how it worked on the body. And... Basically, I, I mean, it's a lot of biochemistry. I don't know. It, I do uh, try to describe it in, in a simple way in my book. But, um, but the main issue is that when you eat fructose, um, you reset the energy in your body to a lower energy. And when you eat glucose, you tend to make energy uh, and it tends to bring in energy uh, but when you eat fructose, you, uh, you reset the total amount of energy in your body to a lower level. And that lower level sort of acts like an alarm signal saying to the animal, hey, you know what? I don't, I don't have enough energy. And so I better, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get hungry because I, I need to fix that problem. I, I don't have enough energy. I'm going to eat more. I'm going to try to store more fat to protect myself. So when, when the body thinks it doesn't have enough energy, it goes into a survival mode. And it says, you know, I'm going to store fat. I'm going to store carbohydrates as glycogen. I'm going to become insulin resistant. I'm going to do all these things. And uh, so uh, all these mechanisms that we call metabolic syndrome are all about trying to protect the animal from starvation. And the trick is, uh, you know, when you're starving, you try to activate these pathways. But the trick about fructose is that it creates a sense of starvation, even if your fat stores are already significant. So you may have fat, but if you eat fructose and you drop that energy inside the cell, the immediate energy, what we call ATP, that triggers this alarm signal to say, I want to store fat. So... I don't know, you know, so the way it sort of works is when, uh, when we eat a nutrient, we have two, 
we produce two types of energy, right? We produce the energy that we use immediately, uh, which is we call ATP, and this is the energy we use to talk and we use to walk and we use to sing and dance and, and breathe. It's the energy that keeps us alive, the ATP. And then we, we, we try to have, you know, f- for that, uh, you know, we, we try to keep another form of energy for the rainy day when we need it. So we, we, we call that stored energy, and that is fat and glycogen because the fat just sits there, but when you need it, you can burn it, and it produces ATP. So if you're starving and you have fat stores, you're going you're gonna to survive longer than if you're starving and you don't have fat stores. So if you're a skinny guy and you're thrown into a prisoner of war camp, uh, you're in trouble if they don't feed you because you're going to die of starvation. But if you happen to have hit the Mountain Dew a little too much and you, and you have a lot of fat stores and they throw you into a prisoner of war camp and, and they uh, don't feed you, you, you've got some backup. You've got this fat that you can live on. So, so fat is stored energy, and it's it was meant, you know, to be a good, good thing for uh, when you don't have food. And so, uh, when you eat fructose, you drop the energy in your cell, and then you try to hold on to fat because it's a mechanism to um, to help you store fuel, store energy for when you need it. And the body thinks it needs it when they eat fructose, even though you don't need it. Because you already got a lot of fat stores, but if you drop the energy a little bit, then what happens is um, they, the body thinks it doesn't have enough fat, so it starts storing. So I, I want to, um, because I think there's some confusion here between fructose and glucose, at least in my right. mind. Right. So uh, I always look at what's the glycemic index, what's the glycemic load um, you know, like, um, I like berries, but I'm only going to eat like, you know, like, I don't know, six or seven of them. I'm not going to have a bowl of blueberries cause it's going to like, it's going to really mess with my brain. Um, but if you, th- so, but there is, suppose I eat uh white pasta or white bread or something like that. So is that, how does that help me out? Glucose, fructose, I understand. Oh. Yeah, no, you're, bring, you're, you're, you're tapping into a really important topic that we've studied. And um, so, you know, so when we first were looking at this and we we're saying, ah, fructose is the culprit. Fructose is the culprit because we can see how all these animals are becoming fat on it. When we give it fructose to animals, it become fat. It's fructose that's the problem. And so uh, I was thinking that, but I, I knew there was a issue, right? Because French fries don't have fructose. But I don't think of them as something that, you know, you can eat and, and stay skinny, you know. Or leading, there are all these people who, who swear that when they eat bread, they gain weight. I think I'm one of them. You know, when I eat bread, which I, I you know, I love bread. But uh, and especially fresh hot bread, you know, with butter. It's it's sort of addicting for me, you know. Uh, when I was a kid, I wanted hot loaf of bread rather than a cake. But bread is fattening, and so the question is, you know, okay, Rick, 
You just proved to me that fructose is a problem, but what about bread? It doesn't have fructose. Well, it has glucose. But glucose, you know, is not fructose. So what's the issue? So the big insight was the discovery, you know, the recognition that glucose can be converted to fructose in the body. And uh, that happens in diabetes because what, what there's an enzyme that converts glucose to fructose. And that there's only one way to make fructose from glucose, and that's through this enzyme. And this enzyme is turned on when the glucose levels in the blood are high. And so when the glucose levels go high in a tissue or in the blood, the glucose starts to be converted to fructose. All right. So, and, and not all the glucose does, but some of it does. So we know in diabetes that people have high fructose levels, even when they are not eating fructose. So then the question came, well, what about high glycemic diets? Because when you eat bread or, you, you know, what, or French fries or whatever it is, uh, that, that if, if the uh, carbohydrate is called high glycemic, what it means is that uh, the glucose levels will go up in the blood a little bit more than normal. So when you eat food, there's always some glucose goes up in the blood, but when you eat Bread, the glucose levels can go up quite a bit. And some people goes up a very large amount, others less. And so the question is, you know, could that rise in glucose be playing a role in it being converted to fructose? And could it be that that's the way it works? Now, everybody had said, well, actually, the way glucose works to cause fat is it stimulates insulin. And insulin's a hormone that tends to to stimulate fat. So maybe it's, uh, it's glucose insulin driving it. So we decided to test that hypothesis. You know, is, do high glycemic carbs cause obesity? And if they do, is it from the insulin or is it from the conversion to fructose? Big experiment, never been done. So what we did is we gave uh, glucose in the drinking water to our animals and it stimulated insulin, and they started gaining weight. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I thought fructose was the culprit, but here we have it. Glucose is going up, insulin's, their insulin's being released. It is the glucose-insulin hypothesis. But then what we did is we gave glucose to animals that could not metabolize fructose. So these animals could metabolize glucose just fine, they produce insulin just fine, but they, they can't metabolize fructose. And what we found was that when animals ate glucose, that their bodies start making fructose. They make it in their liver, especially they make it in their brain. And when you block the fructose metabolism, what we found was that they became less fat. They became, they almost developed no diabetes. And basically they blocked insulin resistance it blocked fatty liver almost completely. It reduced the triglyceride rise in their, liver, in their blood. I mean, it had lots of effects. And so uh, what we realized was, was that there's, there is some glucose is being converted to fat through insulin because they still gain some fat. But a lot of it is from fructose. So they're both important. But I think the fructose one 
is the dominant one. And then we we did it again where we gave soft drinks and soft drinks have both glucose and fructose in it. And when we block fructose metabolism, we could pretty much block the effects of soft drinks to cause obesity and diabetes. So we think that the uh, glucose has some effects through insulin, and uh, but most of it is because the glucose gets converted to fructose. So this was uh, kind of scary. Um, I will tell you that what I've, you know, I've been in discussions with several experts on this glucose insulin theory. And and what's it is true that when it when you give fructose, animals will become insulin resistant, and then you have high insulin levels in the blood. And it is true that when you're insulin resistant, it blocks the uptake of glucose into the fat, but the insulin is still uh, blocking the uh, fat from being degraded in the fat cells. So the insulin is still playing a role. Uh, in obesity, even with the fructose mechanism, but it's it's because uh, fructose causes insulin resistance, and then the insulin levels are blocking the degradation of fat in the fat. So it's sort of complicated. But the bottom line is, David, that high glycemic carbs cause obesity. It is related to the blood glucose going up. Uh, it's from both the insulin that's secreted, but it's mainly because the glucose gets converted to fructose. And so it's still a fructose story. <laughs> um, so I guess that yeah, I'm going to ask you in a second, what should I eat? But I think that we what, what I'd like to do here is just sort of clarify a couple things that, for instance, I, I have friends who um, are triathletes. So for them, um, they need to have um, really large amounts of you know, easily accessible glucose and I guess fructose because they, I mean, they're going to go out and, they're, you know, they're going to burn, I don't know what, 5,000, 8,000 calories in an afternoon. And if they didn't, they couldn't do what they do. But most of us don't do that. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So athletes, super athletes have a thing called metabolic flexibility where they can... They, 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 their energy factories are really good. These are the mitochondria that make ATP. And so they, they, uh, they can handle uh, carbs much easier than we can. And they, because they have really these super uh, mitochondria that allow them to kind of both metabolize carbohydrates and fat fairly well. Uh, it is true that fructose will, if you just gave fructose to an athlete, their performance goes down. It's been done by the Gatorade groups uh, where they just, if you give a pure drink of fructose to a super athlete, they develop lactic acidosis and they can't, Mm. uh, they can't actually perform. And so they learned early on that with sports drinks, that fructose was not so good, but that glucose was was needed because, as you say, you could become hypoglycemic. Uh, The muscles are burning both glucose as well as fats, and you need to provide glucose to the muscle. So most sports drinks were found that they needed glucose. And, and so what happened was the original sports drinks had glucose, but not fructose in it. Like the original Gatorade was a glucose salt drink. And although some glucose gets converted to fructose, a lot does not. And so it turns out that if you're a super athlete, you need that glucose. 
And then there were some really interesting studies done that showed that adding a very small amount of fructose could improve the performance of athletes getting a sports drink with glucose. And the way it works is that a small amount of fructose has been found to increase the absorption of glucose into the body. So it's really uh, assisting the absorption of the glucose and that it, uh, and it improves the amount of uh, energy delivery to the muscle. So uh, not all fructose is bad, uh, like 2% or something uh, is probably the ideal concentration in the sports drink and the glucose concentration has been shown to be around 4 to 6%. If you go over that, then you get deterioration uh, and we've actually shown that, you know, you can actually, um, with higher solutions, you'll actually uh, dehydrate an animal. You'll, you'll tend to um, uh, actually cause kidney disease if the, if the sugar concentrations go up, like to a, that of a soft drink. So uh, soft drinks are terrible uh, as a means to hydrate animals. Uh, but, you know, a sports drink that has like 4% or 6% glucose uh, in in an animal that's exercising a lot is a good thing. Yeah, so that's, that's uh, the key there. I just want to emphasize that. That's yeah. somebody who's putting out, you know, 800 calories an hour or something. Yeah. Then you're okay. The rest yeah. of us, no. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, you know, and um, I have a great, I was a very good friend of the inventor of Gatorade. Um, he's a wonderful person. And, um, and, you know, the, you know, the, the development of sports drinks really was a big breakthrough for athletes because they used to just take salt tabs and water and that wasn't enough. They got hypoglycemic and you actually need glucose to absorb salt in the gut. So Mm. salt tabs failed, you know, as a, as a treatment for dehydration, salt tabs and water, you know, when you're out, out, uh, working out, uh, and sweating extensively, you need to have some glucose and probably a little bit of fructose. <laughs> so I, th- this brings me to something be- before you tell me what to eat, which is what I really want to know. Um, the, you, there's, you, you say in your book, obesity is a dehydration state. So talk to me about how does hydration fit into this whole thing? Yeah, this I to me this is actually the biggest breakthrough in our science uh, was was this discovery. So one of the things we did when we were studying animals is we realized that fat was not just a source of calories, but it's a source of water. And and people have known that when you burn fat, you produce water. So the the metabolism of fat generates carbon dioxide and water, and so animals actually store fat, not just for calories, but for water. So like if, you know, if you're a lemur that's uh, hibernating in the middle of the summer in their dry season, it's because you're, you're actually, there's no water around and you're using the fat to produce water for you while you're, while you're uh, estivating or hibernating. Same thing with bears. When they're hibernating, they break down the fat to produce water, not just energy. So it turns out that fat is a source of water. And when we were studying this, we realized that that enzyme that converts glucose to fructose can be turned on by dehydration. And we did all these studies with dehydration. 
And we found to our amazement that de- mild dehydration stimulates fructose production. And, 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 so, uh, and then in turn, the fructose stimulates fat as a mechanism to provide water to the dehydrated animal. So fat becomes a mechanism, a stimulus for fat is dehydration. So when we were studying that, then we realized that there's a food that we eat that causes a kind of a fake dehydration. What I mean by that is you can be well hydrated and normally you become dehydrated by losing water. So like if you're having diarrhea or you're sweating, you get dehydrated, okay? And then you get thirsty. But you can get thirsty without losing water. And the way you get thirsty without losing water is to eat salt. And when you eat salt, the salt concentration goes up in your blood and it stimulates thirst. And when the salt concentration goes up in your blood, you start making fructose. So when you get thirsty, your body is making fructose at the same time. So then we started looking at people with obesity I remember talking to this very famous hypertension specialist who's a friend of mine, and he said, you know, every patient I see who's obese is eating a lot of salt, and they're all mildly dehydrated. And I go, well, is it in the literature? He said, well, it might be. So I started reviewing the literature, and I found that there were like 20 papers out there showing that people with obesity tend to eat a lot of salt and tend to be dehydrated. And then we started looking at, and we looked at people from Japan and uh, in a big population cohort with a friend of mine from Japan. And we found that the amount of salt you eat predicted if you're going to develop diabetes or not. So just like sugar predicts diabetes, if you eat a lot of salt, that predicts diabetes. And then there were all these studies from uh, Sweden and so forth showing that people with obesity tend to have elevated vasopressin in their blood. And this is a hormone that goes up when you're dehydrated. And then we, we started giving soft drinks to people. We started showing that when you drink a soft drink, you actually become dehydrated. So even sugar dehydrates you. And, and we found that the mechanism was that water was going out of the blood into the tissues. So long story short, we figured out that, that dehydration could be a mechanism for obesity and salt intake could be a mechanism for dehydration. And then when we gave salt to animals, uh, so, you know, we found that, you know, initially they kept their weight normal for like, you know, months, for months. And then suddenly they just became super obese, diabetic and everything. And if we blocked the production of uh, either the production or the metabolism of fructose, they could eat their salt completely. And then we started looking and we found that this salt was also driving blood pressure through this fructose pathway. So it turns out that salt is another way to make sugar. And uh, salty foods, now I'll tell you, if you're on a low-carb diet and you're eating salty foods, uh, you may not get, it may not be a problem because you're carb-restricting. And when you carb-restrict, you're not getting the, you're not eating a lot of glucose. And the way the salt works is it converts the glucose to fructose. So if, if you're not eating a lot of carbs, you're, you're not going to make as much fructose. So even though you've turned on the enzyme, you can't actually act on it. So a low-carb diet is still a great diet. So, but okay. um, uh, anyway, but salt, salty food, that's why French fries are dangerous. It isn't just the carbs. 
It isn't just the grease. It's the salt. The salt turns on the enzyme. The potato provides the carbohydrate, the glucose. And then the fat is, is there to, to, to give you all those calories. So it's like the wh- triple whammy. The triple whammy. So if oh. I, um, I, I just, I want to go back to the hydration thing. Yeah. So let's go back to that because. Just, just no, no salt, just hydration, right? So if I. Yes, this is probably, let's, let's, maybe we can end the, the, the discussions today with this because um, when we realized that obesity was a dehydrated state and that yeah. dehydration causes obesity. Right. And that salt was a cause of de- de- obesity. We realized that it was the, that, you know, if you ate salt but drank water so that you didn't get thirsty, you might actually block the effects of dehydration to cause obesity. In other words, if you could drink adequate amounts of water, so it wasn't really the amount of salt a person eats, it's the balance of salt and water. Right. So we actually did a study where we gave salty soup to people with or without water, and we found that if we gave them enough water to block this pathway, that they, they could drink the salty soup, they could eat the salty soup Without a problem, no no rise in blood pressure, no activation but, of the switch. Rick, if I if say I'm not into salt, just um, drink water, just just the water, right? So most people don't drink enough water, so right? Is, is there a relationship between not drinking enough water and getting fat? Yes, absolutely, okay. there is. In fact, um, Jody Stuckey has now been showing it, and we call it underhydration. So if you get frankly dehydrated, you know, and you get really thirsty. That's that's pretty clear that that's a stimulus. But right. there's also a situation called underhydration where you're not drinking enough water so that the, the processes are turned on to try to hold on to water. Right. So if your urine's concentrated and you're not drinking enough water, you actually have activated this process to, that's going to increase your risk for putting on fat. So it turns out that if you could drink eight glasses of water a day, for example... You can suppress that, and we actually could reverse. We could reverse obesity in animals that were overweight on sugar by increasing their water intake. So this was a huge discovery uh, that we published last year, two years ago, um, and and so uh, you know I encourage everyone to hydrate better, drink uh, six to eight glasses of water a day, maybe even if you uh, you know. Uh, maybe in some cases up to 10 glasses of water a day. But I do want to caution, David, I want to caution everyone that is possible to drink too much water. Hypohydration. Yeah. And if you drink too much water, you can get water intoxicated and end up in an emergency room with seizures. Okay. But that's a want to have that happen. (laughs) That's like gallons of water. Yeah. If you drink gallons of water, you can, you, you can overdo it. Okay. Uh, and the other problem is if you're running marathons, you become very, you can become very um, uh, sensitive to water. And mm-hmm. so studies have shown like if you're doing this kind of extensive exercise like marathon running, to drink to thirst while you're exercising because we don't want you to drop your, your, your salt concentrations too low. So, so the bottom line is if you're just a normal person, uh, you know, and you stay well hydrated, eight, eight glasses of water a day is a good move. 
walk around with a water bottle, you know, drink between meals, drink before you start a meal. Uh, these are all great things. If you're a marathon runner, don't, don't drink huge amounts of water while you're doing the marathon, okay? Uh, drink to thirst when you're exercising in a, in a marathon. But, uh, but if you're just a you know, normal day, eight to 10 glasses, I recommend it. Um, we're going to wrap this up soon, and we're going to have you back because I want to talk about fructose and brain health. Me um, too. So we're, 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 and, and aging and the aging oh, effects I, of fructose. But so I just w- want to make sure I got clear some of the things that you said today. Um, one, if I eat a high glycemic diet, it's going to turn that into fructose. Fructose is going to make me fat, among other things. It's going to raise the lipid levels in my blood. It's all around a bad inflammatory thing. The other thing is that if I don't drink enough water, I'm also going to get fat. Because my body needs to store fat because it thinks like, oh, you're going to be dehydrated soon. We need this fat for water. Did, did I get that right? You got it right. Okay. Absolutely right. In fact, you said it better than I could. So thank you, David. <laughs> Absolutely um, right. So just quickly, I'm gonna, uh, I just want to hit on some food. So my bugbear, I feel like we talked a lot about bears today. I love bears. but um, So my bugbear is orange juice in the morning. People who drink orange juice in the morning – to me, it's like you might as well have turpentine, but you do like out of your mind. So please. Yeah. Explain. Well, there's one, there's a juice that's worse. Apple juice oh. is, is absolutely the worst. <laughs> okay. Apple juice actually has more sugar than soft drinks or the same or more. And it's really not, not good. So, um, I, but I, all I, juices, I, 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 I agree with you hundred percent. Fruit juice should be either off limits or just drink very small amounts because fruit juice is concentrated fructose. When you eat a natural fruit, we did a study. We did put people on low sugar diet with or without fruit. The fruit, natural fruits in the diet are fine because if you eat just small numbers of them, like you could eat four fruits a day, but you just kind of break it up. Uh, that's actually a good thing because you're not eating enough fructose to actually activate the switch. The, when At any meal, the first four grams are inactivated in the gut. Uh, so you really have to eat more than that to activate the switch. So if you're eating vegetables that have just tiny bits of fructose or a natural fruit that has like four to six grams or less, you're, you're going to be fine. Natural fruits are fine. But when you take fruit juice... That's when you, and you make a smoothie by adding six fruits there, and you think that you're eating something healthy. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, no, you're not eating anything healthy. Because when you mix that much, you're getting a large amount of fructose. It's now liquid, so you drink it fast. It hits the liver quickly, and it causes that switch. It drops that energy um, and activates this uh, survival switch, which in this case is actually driving obesity. Hey, quick question. Um, so uh, continuous glucose monitors, they're not measuring fructose, right? They're measuring glucose in my blood. Yeah, they're good. They're good. Okay, because I'm going to get one. I, I want to find out. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I recommend them because then you can kind of see how you react to the different foods. Right. And also you can determine if you're becoming hypoglycemic. Um, and you know, when you're on a low carb diet, some people do become hypoglycemic, many do not. So it's really important to, you know, to, to know your body 
if you have a CGM or continuous glucose monitor, you can figure out what foods are really bad for you, and you can make sure that you're not having any low glucose episodes too. Yeah, I, I, it's a great yeah. mood to have it, David. Um, yeah, it's on my. Uh, I, I like tracking. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah, no. That, that's there's a little bit of an engineering you, David. Yeah, there's that's my I have a degree in that. Um, not there that you I go. Use it, but um, so uh, Rick, we're gonna have you. We're gonna have you back because I, I we still haven't gotten to the like, what do I eat? Um, eat a low yeah. glycemic diet, but I I want to break that yeah. down a little more, and I really want to talk about this um, fructose glucose brain brain health and oh, I, yeah, I think that's an important area. This. Yeah. So can we can we get you back in a few weeks? Yeah, I'd be happy to come back. So let's give a plug for your book again. What's um, Nature Wants Us to Be What? Nature Wants Us to Be Fat. Fat, yeah. Yeah, Nature Wants Us to Be Fat. Um, it's uh, coming out this uh, February 8th. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 it really tells the whole story. It talks about diet, uh, what to do. It gives uh, specific recommendations related to exercise. It's all based on on the science that uh, our group has done over the last 20 years. Um, the science has been published in very good paper, uh, good journals. It's, and I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of information there that could potentially benefit a lot of people. Yeah. I just th- thank you again for this book. Um, I think um, I don't often like endorse books this much, but um, you, people should get this book because it validates everything I've been telling people for like the last <laughs> I don't know how many years about yammering on about low glycemic. It's all about low glycemic. You got to do that. So thank you for that. Thank you, David. Okay, man. Take care. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the show today. We're going to have Rick back in a few weeks to discuss fructose and how it impacts aging and brain health. My guess is it's not a good thing, but we're going to hear from the man himself on that. If you enjoyed the show today, please visit our sponsor, insidetracker.com slash ageist, and you get 20% off when you use that. Uh, you can also leave us a rating if you choose, and we would really enjoy that. And we would also like comments, and of course, for you to tell your friends about this show. You know, understanding the relationship between glucose, fructose, and fat, hydration and fat, These are super interesting things that a lot of people don't really talk about, but we talk about here on Super Age. So please let your friends know about it. Next week, we've got another really good one. We're going to talk about HBOT, which is hydrobaric oxygen therapy. Um, There's a lot of um, sort of in the news. It's sort of in one of these in vogue treatments these days. Um, We're going to talk to an expert about that. That's next week. Everyone have a wonderful week and we'll see you then. Oh, hey, if you want to hit me up, David, superage.com. I answer all of my emails personally and directly. Everyone, have a wonderful week. Be careful of those high glycemic index foods, and we'll see you next week. Take care. <laughs>